Good morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. We're going to turn to Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. Ephesians chapter 6, continuing our hot button series. Um, just a reminder that uh, if you go to the web, uh, web page, a number of people have helped to compile some great resources there, including uh, on our topic today. So all you got to do is click on that red button and you will find those. So today we're going to talk about parenting. So let me make a few comments uh, to begin, and that uh, starts with this, that <clears throat> uh, spending time preparing this message has been uh, extremely humbling for me and uh, reminded me of how much uh, growth there is in my own life needed uh, as a parent. So I just want to say that I don't come to you as an expert today. Um, secondly, I know that not everyone here is a parent. We've all been a child. In some ways, we still are. Not all of us here are parents. Um, I just hope that uh, we can come with an open mind and see that there's lots of connections for us in terms of what it means to be a follower of Christ, even if you're not uh, a parent here this morning. Thirdly, I wanna say that this topic is probably pretty painful for some of you. And there's different reasons why that might be. Maybe you're a parent of a wayward child and you feel the sting of that. Uh, perhaps you feel guilt or shame about that. Maybe you're a, a single person who's always wished to be married and to have children and the Lord hasn't allowed you that blessing. Or maybe you are married and you are struggling with infertility, uh, which is uh, not uncommon in our day. And so I, I realize this topic could be painful. I just trust uh, that as we go through this really one verse in Ephesians 6 that the Lord might encourage us and help us in spite of uh, some of these challenges. So uh, let's look at this verse together, uh, Ephesians chapter 6. You might recall uh, a few weeks ago when Doug Loveday was here, he spoke about marriage from just the previous verses at the end of chapter 5. And uh, so this section actually is meant to all be one. Paul is addressing Christian relationships in the home. So he begins in verse 22 with wives and husbands, and then he addresses children, chapter 6, verse 1, and then parents in verse 4, and then even slaves and masters, which was a, a dynamic relationship or a, a, a reality of the culture of that time in the home. So we're going to start reading in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 6, which says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. You remember where that comes from? Here, of course, Paul is quoting from the Ten Commandments. So he updates the instruction in some way in verse 1. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Why is it right? Because one of the Ten Commandments says, Honor your father and mother. And then he points out that the Ten Commandments, that, that commandment comes with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Did you remember? That's part of the Ten Commandments. Obey children, uh, honor your father and mother, so that it may go well with you. And then he addresses fathers, or I think we can safely say parents, in verse 4, when he says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Father, we come to you now with these books open before us. 
Uh, We come hungry, Lord, I pray. We come expectantly, hoping, needing to hear from you and from your spirit. Lord, what we need today are not the words of a, a human parent and certainly an expert. What we need to hear today, Lord, is from you, from your word and from your spirit. And we pray that that might be so as we open this book and see what you say about parenting. Would you be with us? Would you help us for what is painful, uh, for what is challenging? Would you provide the comfort and teaching that is needed today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one verse. Can you preach a sermon from one verse? Uh, You know how long I tend to go, so maybe this is a good thing, maybe not. But I want us to see four things in this verse. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. The first thing we need to learn is actually... A negative, Paul tells us as fathers or as parents what we ought not to do. He says we should not, in my translation, exasperate our children. Is that a word we use? Any, any young people here ever told their parents, you exasperate me? I don't know we use that word a lot. Let me tell you what the Greek word means. It means to make someone angry from up close. To make someone angry from up close. Uh, We all know what it's like to get angry at someone from a distance, uh, whether it's uh, Vladimir Putin or our government or uh, someone that's uh, in in another vehicle. To exasperate means to make someone angry from up close. That's a pretty powerful statement when you think about family relationships. There's no pain that hurts as much as the pain caused by family members. And I think this is true for us as parents. We are in grave danger of creating pain for our children uh, that they might, they might spend a lifetime trying to overcome. I have talked with countless people who would say that this is true for them, that they have spent a lifetime trying to overcome the mother who told them that they were stupid, or the father who said, you'll never amount to anything. Uh, This is a reality for us as parents. We have a tremendous power and influence over our children that can be extremely harmful if it's not managed properly. And so Paul begins with this, do not, do not exasperate your children. We think of parenting, we think, well, the parents are the ones that get angry. But the word of God says that we can anger our children with certain kinds of behavior. Now, unfortunately, Paul doesn't explain what those things are. Uh, The reality is, we know what those things are, don't we? I mean, just think of your own upbringing, and I'll just ask you for one. What was one thing? And don't shout it out because there's way too many family connections here. Uh, That would be extremely uncomfortable for you and and maybe for your mom or dad if they're here. But think of one, what was one thing that happened in your upbringing that was painful, hurtful, that made you angry as a child? I bet you it's not hard for you to think of something. So I got a list of 10 here, see if you resonate with, uh, with any of these things. Ways that we provoke our children to wrath or uh, cause them to be angry. Here's the first one, be unreasonable. One of the most helpful things I heard in a parenting course at a church a number of years ago was that we have to know the difference between our children being rebellious and being childish. There's a big difference between a child who's being rebellious who knows they're doing wrong, who's defying you and doing it anyway, or they're just being childishly foolish and being silly and getting energized and maybe they've had too much sugar. 
My sister's kids tell me they can't have red dye, nothing with red dye or look out. And it's, I think it's true, actually. So when we are unreasonable with them, when a child acts like a child, when they act out just because they're being childish and, and we get angry and we see in their face as we get angry that they didn't realize they were doing something wrong. It's unreasonable. When we place expectations on our children to do a task that they couldn't possibly do on their own, that's unreasonable. It's hurtful to our children. How about breaking promises? Yes, yeah, son, we're going to go fishing on the long weekend of May. Are we? When we've made promises and broken them so many times before, our children don't believe the things we say we're going to do. We're going to, go to, we're going to go to Disney World. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We break our promises. How about hypocrisy? When our children see us doing the things that we've told them again and again not to do. When our children watch us behave differently in the doors, inside the doors of the church than we behave on the way to the church. Hypocrisy. In fact, I would say the one common denominator I've seen for children who've struggled to follow the faith of their parents is often hypocrisy. It's parents who didn't faithfully live out their faith seven days a week. How about making comparisons? I remember standing in the dentist's office and listening to the secretary talk about her daughter, who is a classmate of mine at school, and publicly wishing that she was like some other child. And no doubt she said that. In fact, this daughter told me on a later occasion that her mother told her that, that she wished that she was more like some other student or child. Your, your kid can't be some other kid. Can't be like some other child. And that kind of thing. And, and if we do this within our own families, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? It's extremely painful. How about this one? When we don't apologize to our children. Uh, moms and dads, if you have never apologized to your child, it's not because you haven't sinned against them. It's because you've been too proud to admit that you were wrong. I have found this to be one of the most potent things in my own life, uh, for good and for bad. To have a parent who uh, reacts toward me in a way that I know is wrong but refuses to apologize. To have a parent who reacts toward me in a way that, uh, that they knew was wrong and then comes back and makes that right and acknowledges was a powerful thing for good in my life. Uh, I would say that when we mess up as parents, this is one of the most powerful moments we have to point our children to Jesus. Because we get to go to them and say, you know what, Liam? It's hard to preach a sermon like this when my, one of my kids is sitting right here. Uh, Liam, I was wrong. And I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. And uh, this can almost be for real, right? You know? And I was wrong. And, and I just want you to realize this is why I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because I'm a sinner and I fail and I've failed you and this is why I follow Jesus and this is why you need Jesus because we're all sinners including your parents. It's a gospel moment. It's an opportunity to teach our children about Christ and about the good news that there is a God who forgives us through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Don't lose those opportunities because of your pride. Because you're too proud to go to your child and say I sinned against you. I'm telling you, this could be one of the most powerful things. It could revolutionize your parenting. It could change your child's life if you would do this. And if you don't apologize, 
they're not fooled. Our kids know when we've sinned. Our kids know when we've been unfair to them. How about being overly critical? We uh, ask our kids to do things, never have a word of encouragement when they do it, when they do it well. Always criticize, always find some fault with it. Some of you know exactly what this feels like because that's how you were raised. You had a parent or parents who never encouraged, who never, who never said well done. I was at a wedding one time when the father stood up. It was his son's wedding. And he quoted from God the father. He pointed at his son at the head table and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And it is a shame that many uh, of us never had our parents say something like that to us or, or in front of others. To have a mom or a dad say, you are my son and I love you and I'm glad you're my son and I'm pleased with you. And, and instead, we just get criticism, criticism, criticism. You did this wrong, you did this wrong. It's painful for our children. How about playing favorites? We see stories in the Bible. I don't know if there's a scripture in the Bible that says, don't play favorites with your children. What we have instead are a whole bunch of stories of, of people, patriarchs in the Bible, and David in the Bible playing favorites with his sons and the wreckage that that caused. Do you remember the story of Joseph? kid that gets the coat of many colors because his dad loves him more than his other 11 brothers. And what do, the, what do the 11 brothers end up doing? Throw him in a pit, sell him to slavery. It causes absolute wreckage in families. Now, are there certain children in our families that are easier to love than others? Come on. You're going you're gonna to sit there and pretend, no, not, not for me. I'm uh, no favorites here. Obviously, we, we all have, if you have more than one child, you're going to have more chemistry with one of your kids than you do with the others, or even gender. If you, you like hockey and your son likes, or your daughter likes hockey, you're going to have chemistry there that you might not have with other of your children. And so there are times when we, we need the Lord's grace. You just get, you, you connect, you resonate more with one child over the other. One of your kids, you just don't get them. You, you just don't understand the way they think. And so we need God's grace for this, but we have to be determined that we're not going to play favorites in our home. We're going to love each of our children in a way that they know that they're loved. How about being inconsistent? That thing you tell your child not to do. Don't stand up in your high chair. Don't stand up in your high chair. Don't stand up in your high And they just keep doing it until finally you fly into a rage. So they did it 10 times and you didn't say anything and then the 10th time you fly into a rage. That's inconsistency and our kids can't handle that. It's not fair to them. Be consistent in the things, the rules you lay down and the way that you enforce and keep and uphold those rules. Be consistent with your kids. Don't ignore your kids. There was a book written that said, uh, love is spelled T-I-M-E. And all of our kids need attention. All of our kids need time. I see in this little culture around us here that we are hard-working people. And we value hard work, and we value making money, and we value business success. Be very careful that it's not at the expense of your children. Make sure that you're giving your children time. Do not ignore your children. Finally, this one. Don't embarrass your kids. This is one of the most painful things, right? When you're in public and your parent embarrasses you, and maybe... Maybe it's a moment where they're correcting you, but they're doing it very publicly. I have a little fun with this one. Uh, my girls aren't here, but 
<clears throat> when we were living at, at the camp, we had to drive our kids into school every day, and we're actually in our house in Lidwood now, praise the Lord. So we're really thankful for that and for all the help we had to get that far. But when I was driving my girls, to, my kids to school, I'd let them off in front of the school. <clears throat> and then I'd find my girls would kind of get out on the sidewalk and they'd walk away from the vehicle, you know, our rusty suburban. So what I would do is I'd just pull ahead and kind of pull alongside them. I'd roll the window down, you know, so like I wanted to talk to them. And uh, absolutely loved watching my girls pretend they didn't know me. It was... <laughs> It was awesome. All right, well, a little fun with that one. But yeah, be careful not to embarrass your kids. These are the kinds of things that cause them to, uh, to be exasperated, to feel this anger, to have someone who they, they trust. Who do your kids trust more than you as a mom or a dad to protect them and to love them? Don't be the one who creates this hurt, this pain, this anger within them. That's the first thing we find in this verse. Here's what you shouldn't do. Then Paul immediately goes on to what we should do, and he says that we should bring them up. We should rear them up. That's a phrase that we are familiar with even in our culture here today, bring them up. It's a word that combines two ideas. It's the idea of feeding and the idea of getting out of. kind of reminds me when I go to the Mandarin restaurant. Any of you gone to the Mandarin restaurant? I mean, it's a little bit like a cattle lot there, right? Like you get them in, feed them, get them out, get the next people into the table. Uh, or I was actually thinking of uh, visiting uh, Rick and Doreen's farm. I asked Rick to send me a picture. I guess he didn't. He he blocked me. I think on on, on the phone or something. But because we got to tour their barns uh, a, a couple of months ago, and so they got this. What do you call it? Nursery? Where's Rick in here? Correct me if I'm wrong. We got this nursery barn. This this calf barn, right? which uh, just this immaculate place, it's clean, Every, the calves have room to skip and play and, and whatever they do. But that's the point of a little barn like that, is that put the calves in there. The, the point is that, isn't that they stay there for the rest of their lives, right? The point is that we're gonna feed them, we're gonna nourish them in a healthy environment so that they can move on to the heifer barn or to, the, to my plate or wherever they're gonna move on to. <clears throat> the point isn't that they're going to stay there forever. <clears throat> and that's true. Okay, it's hard to make connections here sometimes. But, but we want to feed our children, nourish them, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally, so that they're ready to be fully mature humans, even more importantly from a Christian perspective, to be fully mature believers, so that they're ready to leave home and thrive as followers of Jesus. This is what the word means. When Paul says, don't exasperate your children, instead, bring them up. It means to feed and nourish them to the place where they leave, where they graduate from your home. And they're moving on to other uh, things in life. This is what it means. This is our job as parents. Don't exasperate your kids. Bring them up. Raise them up. See, I think the great danger for us as parents is that we take a passive approach to parenting. Nothing passive about being on a farm and, well, I guess, oh, should I tease Rick some more? Okay, I won't. I was going to say, you know, the guy with the robot in the barn, yeah, it's pretty passive. He's, you go into Rick's office, he's got a couch in there. <laughs> robot in the barn, couch in the office. Sorry, Rick, you know I love you. Where, where is he? Where is he? He's hiding. Is he not in this room? Or maybe he was at the first service. 
Good. So he didn't even know. <clears throat> Raise your children. See, parenting is not passive. Do we think of parenting as kind of a 20-year supervision? I'm kind of babysitting. I, I give my place, I give a, my kids a place to live. I put food on their plate, but it's just passive. That's my responsibility. That's what it means to be a good dad. I just provide food and space. You can live here. That's not what the Bible says about parenting. It is not passive. It is something that is active. It is something that requires engagement from us. And it is far more than just feeding them and nourishing them physically to rear them up from a spiritual perspective and in every other, 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 other aspect of life, the emotional aspects of life, requires full engagement of us as parents. Proverbs 22 says, start children off in the way they should go. And even when they are old, they'll not turn from it. Well, we know that there are times when people who are raised in, in Christian families don't always follow the Lord, but generally, when we rear and raise our children to follow the Lord, generally speaking, they often will. So bring them up to follow Christ. And then Paul gives two ways in which we do that. Don't exasperate your children. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Bring them up in the training of the Lord. This is a, a Greek word that reminds me of a word from Star Wars. So forgive me if you're not a Star Wars fan, but Star Wars uses the word Padawan learner. It's actually very similar to the Greek word that Paul uses here. The Padawan learner is the Youngling, you know, the child Jedi who is paired with a mature Jedi who is going to train him or her and help them to become a Jedi master. And it's so much like what we read in the New Testament of Jesus and the disciples. It's, it's kind of this life-on-life life thing. And that's what Paul is describing here in this word he uses for training. And here's where parenting is not passive. We are not just providing our children with a place to live. We are meant to be their Jedi master of sorts. Why is Liam laughing at me right now? It's like, Dad, you don't know anything about Star Wars. No. Or hopefully he's not thinking, you don't know anything about parenting. But we are not meant to be passive. We are meant to be trainers of our children. The Padawan learner lives with the Jedi Master and goes where the Master goes and does what the Master does. And that's what our children are supposed to do. And that's what we're supposed to do as parents. And we're going to see this in the scriptures, that this idea that, that we're, we're supposed to bring our kids along with us and do life with them and actually teach them on the fly. Notice this verse here from Deuteronomy 11. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. This is training. Life on life. We're taking an active role in teaching our kids about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we're not just passively going through the motions, making sure our kids have food and clothes. But every moment of every day provides opportunities for us to teach our kids. It could be anything. It could be teaching our kids about money, teaching our children how to be careful with their money, how to spend their money, 
could be about decisions, could be about peer pressure, could be about spiritual things, could be about concepts from the Bible. And when these things arise, we could be driving down the road and something happens or we see, we see an opportunity to stop and help someone. All of these are moments of training our children. We're teaching them to be followers of Christ. By the way, folks, what does that mean? Now, I said Jedi master, obviously. None of us are Jedi masters and none of us are masters at following Jesus, are we? Let's always remember this, that to be a disciple of Jesus does not mean that I have arrived and so now I can go and try to find some other helpless people that need to learn how to follow Jesus like I do. To be a follower of Jesus is to be an imperfect human who takes a hold of Christ as Savior and who recognizes that what I really need is for Jesus to show me the way because I bumble and stumble my way along. I need his light. I need his truth. I need his salvation. So to be a follower of Jesus is to not have arrived, is to acknowledge that we need Christ every moment of our day. And so to train our kids to follow Jesus is to come alongside them, take them by the hand. Not, it's not a top-down thing. It's not standing over our kids and ordering them to do something. To train our children is to come alongside them and take them by the hand and say, let's follow Jesus together. That's what this looks like. We train our kids. And then he says to instruct, finally. Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This word instruction is actually a negative word, sometimes translated admonishment or admonition. Bring your children up with admonition. This is, I think, a picture that describes what admonition, what this kind of negative instruction is. It is, don't touch the stove. You'll get burned, right? Do our kids need that kind of instruction? Yes, they do. They need to be taught about the dangers of this world, the danger of the hot stove or the hot fireplace, the dangers of, of drinking and driving, the dangers of speeding, the dangers of, of, of dating the wrong person. Our, our kids need to be instructed about these things. That is our job as parents. You may think, I'm not a teacher. I don't, have a, I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't have the spiritual gift of teaching. But if you're a mom or a dad, it is your job to instruct your children about life and about spiritual things. Deuteronomy 6. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands. Do you know the greatest thing that we need to teach our children to fear is not the stove. It's not speeding behind the wheel. The most important thing we need to teach our children to fear is the fear of the Lord shouldn't surprise us because the Bible says this all through the Bible that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To get to first base with God requires that we revere Him, that we have a reverence for Him. And that is why our job as parents is so important to help them recognize the dangers of sin. The dangers of disobeying God. 
the dangers of rebellion. And that is why when our kids rebel against their parents, who are the God-given authority that God has placed above them, we have to call that out. We have to draw a line in the sand. We have to teach our kids to fear the Lord. So what does Paul say? Don't exasperate your children, but bring them up in this training and instruction. I wonder if that reminds you of anything that's more general in the Christian life. It certainly reminds me of something. It actually reminds me of this discipleship path that we've been talking about here at Wallenstein these last six months. The the discipleship path, path represents the Christian life. The Christian life, as I've just been saying, is following Jesus, recognizing that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior. Who's my Savior? Jesus is. Recognizing that I don't understand and I'm not able to live the life that God has called me to live. What do I need? I need, I need a shepherd. I, I need a rabbi to teach me. I, I need someone to show me the way. I, I, in fact, I need someone to come and live within me to empower me to live this Christian life. And so that's what it means to be a Christian. We come to Christ by faith. We receive salvation from sins, but we receive so much more than that. We receive this life of Christ within us and the very person of Christ and his word instructing us how to live. And so what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that we follow Jesus. We follow him as our savior. We follow him as our guide, our shepherd, our rabbi. And what is our responsibility to others? Once we've become a follower of Jesus, what is our responsibility to others? And our responsibility to others, no matter where they stand on the discipleship path, whether they're left or right of the cross, is that God desires to use us to make disciples. So whoever is in our influence, we are seeking to point them to Jesus, to take them by the hand and say, come, follow Jesus. If they've never trusted him, we want to share the gospel with them. We want to say, you need Jesus. If they have trusted Jesus, as John described in his story of coming to Christ with his wife at this Bible study. We want to come alongside those people and say, let let me help you understand more of God's word and what it means to follow Jesus. We do this as equals. We're, We're walking side by side down the same path. And folks, this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a parent. It's also a beautiful picture of what it means to be a grandparent. It's also a beautiful picture of what it means to be a sibling. Yeah, your older, your younger siblings. God wants you to influence them towards Christ. And as a reminder, even if you're not a parent, even if you're, uh, if you're, if you're a single person, we all get to participate in this great journey of following Jesus. So, if this is what it looks like to be a parent, and I've said this already, the great challenge that we start with is, are you, as a mom or a dad, following Jesus passionately? Are you following Christ? Secondly, as a mom or a dad, are you seeing this as your responsibility with your children? You're not just giving them a roof over their head. You're not just putting potatoes on their plate. You are training them and instructing them to follow Jesus. That is your job. One of the ways that we see this connection in Scripture is the way that the Bible often talks about parenting, especially in the Old Testament, especially in the book of Proverbs, where we see this word that looks so much like the word disciple 
But it's a little bit different. It's the word discipline. And this is the way Scripture often speaks to us about parenting. That there is this great need for discipline. The reason why discipline is similar to the word disciple is because those two things go together. To be a disciple requires discipline, two kinds of discipline. Uh, The kind of discipline where the master or the father brings discipline into my life for my growth. It also requires a personal kind of discipline where I make decisions and choices that are hard in order to follow Jesus. So discipline is a crucial part of parenting. The one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. By the way, folks, this is the word of God. We'll talk in a moment about forms of discipline and what's right and what isn't. But this is the word of God. Uh, Regardless of what you think about how you discipline your children, we need to be very clear and firm on this, that disciplining them in some form is not an option. It is biblical, it is right, it is crucial, it is needed. Discipline your children for in that there is hope. Do not withhold discipline from a child, command of God's word. And then Hebrews 12 summarizes all of this for us, reminding us that as God's children, he will discipline us. God's word says if you're not disciplined, then you're not legitimate. And that is why some of us, even today, are facing hardship and pain in our lives because God is allowing discipline in the life of one of his children. Why? For our good, for our growth. When it comes to training and instructing our children, discipline is a crucial tool that we will use to do that. Now, uh, culturally, uh, this, is, uh, this is shaky ground, isn't it? Because our culture, especially traditional forms of discipline like spanking, uh, is very much out of vogue in our culture. Uh, it, it is interesting to note, though, that it is not illegal to discipline our children in Canada. In fact, it's not even illegal to use uh, forms of spanking. So this is, a, this is from an actual document, current document on the Government of Canada website, is spanking illegal? And the government here does everything in their power to tell you that you shouldn't spank your kids, but they have to acknowledge in that first paragraph that it's actually not a criminal offense. So in 2004, the Supreme Court of Canada made a ruling about spanking in Canada. It wasn't unanimous. I think it was six Six out of nine judges uh, deemed that forms of spanking were still okay if you spanked the child who was between the ages of two and 12, if you uh, didn't use an instrument, if you just simply used your hand, if you didn't leave a a bruise or a mark after spanking your child. Uh, They were saying that this is not a crime in Canada to use spanking in those ways. So... I know this is hot buttons. We could really stir the pot on this, couldn't we? I'm not really intending to do that. Uh, We don't really have time to do that, to talk a lot about the forms of spanking or of discipline. But I do want to encourage you as moms and dads that discipline is part of what our job is as parents, as Christian parents, in some form, whatever that might be for you and, and your spouse, in your family. Your children need to be disciplined so that they can learn to fear God It's through discipline 
that we recognize that there is a God who we are accountable to. It's through discipline that we learn what sin is. It's through discipline that we learn that there are consequences to sin. It's through discipline that we learn that God is calling us to a holy life. Let me finish with this picture. Probably not a very realistic picture of Jesus, but nevertheless a picture that reminds me of perhaps one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Story when these moms, having heard about Jesus and his power and his miracles, simply wanted to bring their babies and their small children to Jesus so that he might touch them and bless them. The disciples, uh, understanding the culture of their time in which women and children were not important, and someone like Jesus certainly was, actually restricted the women from coming to Jesus and bringing their children to him. And when Jesus recognized what they were doing, it says he became indignant, which is one of the strongest words for anger that we have in the Greek language in the Bible. He was indignant with his disciples, and he said, let the little children come to me, for such the kingdom of God is made up of such as these. There's two beautiful truths to that for me. One is this simple truth that if we're followers of Jesus, if we are Christians, then God sees us as his children. He invites us to his table. He prepares a feast before us. The other is this. Jesus shows us the heart of God for children. I grew up in a time when uh, every sermon was fire and brimstone. It was about hell and the second coming and the great tribulation, and I was terrified of God. But so wonderful to learn that Jesus, who shows us the heart of God, was this kind of God, this kind of Savior who loved children. He loves your children. He loves your grandchildren. And you get to be, you get to be Jesus to your kids and to your grandkids, to the kids in your Sunday school class, to the neighbor's kids. You get to be Jesus to them. You get to bring God's blessing and God's love, that appropriate touch of God into their lives. We get to be the people who point them, these young ones, to Christ. That is our privilege. Uh, We're going to sing one final song and then I'll come to uh, close in prayer. Lord, we marvel that we get to be called the children of God. Thank you for the Father that you are, for the love that you have for us, and even, Lord, as you bring us through times of discipline and hardship, maybe for some here today, we know that behind that is your love, your desire for us to become more like you. Uh, Lord, help us as parents to recognize the great task you've laid before us, Uh, Surely, Lord, we recognize how desperate we are. I pray that we'd be moms and dads who pray uh, passionately for our kids, for you to take hold of their lives. pray that we'd be grandparents who pray for our grandkids. Uh, Lord, may we be followers of Jesus who come alongside our kids and our grandkids and show them what it looks like to follow Jesus. Help us first to be faithful in order to teach them how to be faithful. We pray for the children of this church family, Lord. Maybe some uh, represented in the people here right now who are wayward, who are not following Christ. Oh, Lord, in your grace, would you reach them? We know that it's not us, Lord, who saves our children. It's only you who can open their eyes to see the beautiful light of Jesus. 
So we pray that that would be true, especially for any wayward ones. And we pray it would be true for all of our kids, young and old, that they would be passionate followers of Jesus, making a difference in our community and in our world. Lord, we pray this would be true for your great honor and glory. Pray, amen. Amen. Please be seated.